the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. There was an experiment done with highly skilled chess players and casual chess players who were shown a series of chess boards with various formations of chess pieces for about five to ten seconds apiece. Later, when they were asked to recall those chess boards, the grandmasters of chess remembered every piece and every placement on every board. The average player, however, could only remember about four or five pieces per board and layout. It led to ask the question of why. Why did these grandmasters of chess have this amazing ability to remember all those pieces and formations? Upon further study, it wasn't that they had superior IQs or better memories. Instead, it was observed that the grandmasters could remember the game boards so well because after many years of study, they saw the boards in a different way. When average players saw a chessboard, they saw groups of individual pieces. However, when these grandmasters saw chessboards, they saw formations. It was akin to reading. Rather than seeing a bunch of letters, they saw words and paragraphs and stories. They made connections with each piece that in turn networked a broader chunk of information and they'd internalize the relationships between them that led them to see each and every board differently. I share that tonight, of all nights, because before us lies a familiar passage, perhaps an overly familiar passage, the story of the incarnation, of Jesus' entrance into the world is one we all know well, and even the world around us that doesn't even hold to the Christian faith is familiar with it. In fact, they see images like this all around them, those manger scenes that we've seen countless times, the story this night that we've heard read over and over, we've seen depicted in movie after movie, acted out by little ones of all ages in various renditions and forms, depicted on greeting cards, and even strewn in little scenes around our homes and yards and towns. I can certainly attest that we've probably got at least half a dozen nativity sets somewhere all over our house that we've acquired over the years and at various places. Yet the danger in these tidy manger scenes, in the image before us that we encounter this time of year, is that we can often view it as isolated. We don't see how it connects to the broader network of the story of God's narrative of what he has done and what is he doing in the world today. It can become reduced in the world's eyes to just a mere symbol of hope or mere optimism. Perhaps it, it solicits a bit of nostalgia uh, from folks and memories as they encounter such images. There's a danger to miss the message of the manger and why it's mentioned in the first place, the one to whom it points namely Jesus himself. So tonight I'd encourage you to pause and reflect on this passage with me in a few moments therein as we look at it afresh, either in your Bible if you're at home or on the bulletin that you've printed off or for those of you in person on the screens if you desire. And let's look at what God has done 
and is doing in salvation history, which includes our lives today. And let's not miss the message of the manger tonight. In fact, as we open to this, you may have noticed or perhaps recalled as it was read, the manger is listed three times in this passage. And with each time we encounter it, there's a broader nod to the broader salvation message that we find therein. Take a look at what I mean. The first mention of the manger comes there in verse 7. It's on the heels of what seems to be a rather long introduction that tries to perhaps give us some orientation of time and place. But Luke did something far more in-depth than merely orient the reader to where they are in this place and time. We open to read of Augustus Caesar, who's far removed from Bethlehem, from Israel at this moment. He's all the way off some great distance in Rome. But his very presence reaches all the way into that tiny little town at the height of his power. Luke wants us to connect with the broader narrative to see the impact of what is going on. To recall that Augustus was the adoptive son of Julius Caesar. Augustus Caesar was the sole ruler of the Roman world after a gruesome civil war that overpowered every rival, including that famous Mark Antony. Once his reign was established, he turned the Roman Republic into the Roman Empire. He, as the head, proclaimed that he had brought justice and peace to the earth. And he declared that it had come through his adoptive father, who at this point is divine in his mind, thus making him the son of God. You can see this sets a stage and a background. Poets at the time hailed him through words like Savior and Lord to describe him, and people quite literally bowed down and worshipped his image. And as governor, we read, is ruling in Syria, and his power extends into this sleepy part of Israel. And it's taken as perhaps just an exercise of his power, that he has the whole known world that anyone understood at that time uh, give an account for themselves in this census that we see mentioned in verses 3 and 4. It's that power of Rome at a time at this time that was unchecked and unmatched. And yet among this backdrop, quietly, another scene begins to unfold of who is truly in control. Luke notes that at the very moment that this happens, at the very moment under Caesar's sway, as all the prophecies had foretold, that this is the moment that led the Holy Family, Mary and Joseph, to that town of David of Bethlehem at the very time of Mary's due date. And it's there in Bethlehem she gives birth to the true Son of God in a manger where we first encounter it. The infant found therein This Jesus would be hailed as the Son of God, and upon his shoulders would rust true power and peace, unlike the claims of Augustus Caesar and so many rulers before and even after him. And while Augustus himself perhaps may never hear of this king, the king of kings, his successors certainly would. They would do everything in their power to try to snuff out his reign and rule. And a mere three centuries after this, 
the emperor himself would become this king's follower. And so many who come down through the ages would follow suit as well, leading us to where we sit today. Yes, when we encounter verse 7, there is a loud sounding post from Luke that says, don't miss the message of the manger. Don't miss the one therein, Jesus, and God's power that is beheld. And perhaps, perhaps there is a first reminder for us this evening, as we too are called to not miss this message of the manger before us as well. A reminder of a power that is so great that lies in yet such a feeble state that even those in power at the time didn't realize that they were actually playing into God's plans and purposes with every move they made and every exercise of their power at the time. A power so great therein that it came in such a seemingly small way and yet was so explosive in the entrance of the person of Jesus that it has been marked and celebrated more than any other event in human history, nor power ever since, since this moment, nor been embraced with such longevity as well. There's a reminder therein to not miss the message of the manger, to not miss God's power of display as Jesus enters the scene, it seems to say. And this is important for us tonight, not merely as a mere point of belief or a mere matter of fact or to win you over to some moment in world history, but it's needed now more than ever on this Christmas. In the face of our fatigue and our frustrations in empty churches, drags on the effects of a pandemic left in its wake. In the face of shattered hopes in failed leaders, and even the decency that we'd expect from our fellow man, and in the face of our desires for a brighter future and days ahead, stands the manger. A reminder that the power of God therein did, is, and will continue to transform the face of the earth. It points, as it does, quietly to the one therein, Jesus, who conquered death, who outlasts kingdoms and empires, countries and rulers, whose power never fails. The power of the manger points to the fact that Jesus is not done yet, and his power is unmatched by anyone or anything in this world. He's in control even when the world seems to be reeling out of control. It is he alone who has the power to work, to redeem, and to restore. And should we doubt it this night, we have proof in the rest of the story of Scripture, the broader story from this moment that shows of God's power breaking into the world and the life, the death, and the teaching, the resurrection of Jesus, the subsequent outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the birth of the church, the kingdom of God that reached from every corner of the globe and the countless lives of the saints down to this very moment in the miraculous signs and wonders of his kingdom that continues to break forth and continues to advance this day through the power of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us, don't miss the message of the manger at this first stop and the reminder that is found therein in the person of Jesus. But the reminder doesn't end here. In fact, we discover yet one more halfway through this text, back in the bottom of verse 12 if you turn back there with me for just a moment. 
we discover that the manger is mentioned here too after a string of more miraculous events. It comes at this mention as a sign to the shepherds, the very ones who are under the sway of the ruling elite, who are literally on the fringes of society we know in the hills outside of the main cities and even sleepy little towns, those who are marginalized, forgotten, and unnamed. They could be you or me. We don't know who these ones were. They never are given a name, and yet they are known to the one who visits them, the angelic hosts who tells them of a manger, of a sign pointing to the one therein, pointing to the one who would be the king that would indeed shepherd them as they understand, the one whose message, teaching, and life would be more than just from a place out there, but out and among them in the dusty streets and hillsides in which they dwelled, the one whose rule would not be removed, like that of Augustus Caesar, who they'd never seen apart from an image stamped on coins, but one that they would encounter whose life would be stamped on their hearts as it reached in and touched them forevermore. Yes, the message of the manger is that God would be with them and among them, and his presence would be felt by them. And so the message of the manger summons them from the fields to go and see this shepherd of God's people, this news of great joy that was for all people heralded by the angels, and a signpost was given to them in the message of the manger that this would be the sign of the one they were looking for. They couldn't miss it. God made man, God among them, God with them. And here we too discover perhaps at the end of verse 12 a sign for us as well. Another message not to be missed of the manger, namely that God's presence is accessible to all. The one therein, Jesus himself, is God with us, with me, and with you. God's presence in the person of Jesus is not merely power on display for us to behold, for those who are privileged or for those who ponder great things or have great learning and understanding to access them, but to all people, to you and to me. God's presence is accessible to us. And tonight stands as a signpost down through the ages to remind us of this fact, to remind us of the one that calls us to himself just as he called the shepherds to himself to come and see the one Jesus who invites us to leave behind this night the distractions and all the things that might draw us away from him, all that deters us, and to come into his midst just as the shepherds did. The message of the manger is an invitation to discover great news in the face of so much bad news these days that drags us down and can leave us despondent and depressed. It stands before us quietly calling about over the COVID counts, the vaccination updates, the election struggles, and the broader global challenges and the challenges we face personally and the loneliness and the addictions that are known and in the depths of our own hearts to discover God's presence afresh tonight. To find it as we leave those things and the noise behind and embrace the one found here in the pages of Scripture, the one encountered in the grace found in these pages, 
the one who brings us healing and purpose and peace in our time. Don't miss the message of the manger and the one found therein, Jesus himself, especially at a time such as this. And the message of the manger and the reminder therein doesn't just end here. We encounter it one last time in verse 16 towards the end of this text. As we move to it, we discover that this signpost that the shepherds heard about led them to drop everything and to go and see this thing that God has done. They didn't want to miss this message. So we read they made haste. They hurry. They have a sense of urgency and a desire to see what this thing proclaimed of God might entail and who he would be. And so they travel back into town with fervency, searching for that signpost, searching for the manger. And when they discover it, they discover Jesus, the Messiah. And when they arrive, they let everyone know what they have heard and seen. They do so because this sign foretold has now been confirmed as they lay eyes upon it themselves. They behold Jesus, and they didn't miss the message. And perhaps there is a final point for us to ponder as well. Namely, the message of the manger reminds us that God's promises come to pass. It was a promise in Jesus' entry into the world that we know through the pages of Scripture but was awaited for generations and seemed like an eternity. But from God's eye, it had been set in motion since the very moment that man departed the Garden of Eden after having sinned and death had entered the world. As all God's promises do up to this one, they came to pass time and time again, and so did this long-awaited promise. Not on the time frame of anyone who would have expected it, but in God's perfect timing, as we've seen, the broader picture comes into view. And there's that final reminder for us as well. God's promises never fail. Don't miss the message of the manger. They may not come to pass on our time frame, nor in the ways in which we envision when they do, but God's promises never fail. And the message of the manger stands as a testimony to that time and time again on so many different levels. God's promise to restore has and is coming to pass in every heart that turns to him. God's promise to heal comes in every broken heart that comes before him in addition to the miraculous signs and ways that he breaks into the world in incredible ways of which I could fill your entire evening if you had time. God's promise is that Jesus will return, and that lost promise, when it comes true, will set all things right when it comes to pass. And in his perfect timing, it will leave us leaning in in the meantime, looking, waiting, hoping for it to come to pass until our eyes may behold it. And so before us stands the manger, ringing out throughout history to say, don't miss it. Don't miss the point of the manger, the power of God therein, the presence of God on display, and the promise of God fulfilled. And on this night, on this holy night, in spite of all that has gone on around us, stands this reminder, one that points to comfort, 
to purpose and to discover peace therein as we too are reconciled to God, one that is more than a scene or an image, but a story that connects to our story if we would allow it to tonight. Tonight, my prayer has been for you, wherever you are, in person, at home, wherever in the country or around the world you might jump in from tonight, that your story is not an isolated one, and this moment is not an isolated one either. It's not confined to this day, nor even the 12 that follow on Christmas. Rather, it connects down through the ages and to your own and to your heart if you would respond to it tonight. I pray you will as you draw near to Jesus this night and in the days to come. Don't miss the message of the manger. Don't miss the one therein, Jesus, who alone is our hope and our salvation. Don't merely gaze upon him, though, or leave here and turn back to life, having embraced him with a warm feeling, and then go back. But let your lips and your life embrace the power, the presence, and the promises of God found in him as you carry onward every day until we no longer behold a manger, but behold the king when all those promises are fulfilled. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.